welcome to Bloody Mary, a podcast about horror movies, feminism, and sexuality. I'm your host, Chicago comic Kristen Lighty. And with us tonight, we have Mariana Karampoulos. Hey, Mariana. Hey, Kristen. (laughs) (laughs) So, those Greek names, they throw me. Uh, I think I got it right, though. Uh, Mariana, why don't you introduce yourself? I'm Mariana. I'm an attorney. You are. And I am a member of the Stabats. It's a bicycle club. I live in Logan Square with a roommate and a new puppy and an organ that I found in my alley. Mariana is an amazing organ player. I've seen her do the theme to Jurassic Park, the theme to Star Wars. You have a special outfit you wear when you play the organ. I I greatly enjoy it. It's a performative jacket and fez. Yes, yes. And these, uh, you know, the recitals are very small and invite only. Intimate. It's all about the ritual, you know, which really (laughs) resonates with the film we're talking about today. Mm -hmm. Definitely. (laughs) All right. I'm excited to have you on the podcast. Uh, Curious, like, how do you feel about horror movies as a genre overall? I like them. Uh, I think what I like about them is that they contemplate another reality, a horrible reality, a terrifying, blood-soaked version of our day-to-day, but something that's not your regular day-to-day, something that's not what you normally see. Mm-hmm. And during the month of October, I like to binge watch a lot of horror movies. And, you know, it got to the point where I had a dream that Pennywise the Clown was talking to me with the voice of the guy from the movie Wishmaster, the evil oh. genie, you know, and he's he's telling me all these things, these revelations in my dream, and it's like this terrifying clown. <laughs> And I just like um, I just like how they're not the ordinary. Or you know, when I binge watch those movies in the month of October, it can make even just the slightest sound, like a rustle in the trees, sound so menacing. Like mm-hmm. what could that possibly be? <laughs> you know, you expect something horrible to come stalking out. And I like that. I like that possibility. Mm-hmm. I really enjoy horror movies for the same reason. I also enjoy like bad dreams and the idea that like you turn it off or you're done with it and then you're like, well, my life isn't as bad as getting stabbed, so it's pretty good. (laughs) (laughs) My life is so bad. I like horror movies as a potential alternative. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, shit. So what is the first horror movie you remember seeing? Oh, God. I don't, you know, I will say when I was a, child and they really scared me Mm -hmm. um it was I don't even know what it was it was something that was on tv maybe it was an episode of tales from the crypt and these people were being haunted in their apartment the apartment caught on fire and then all these ghouls started rising up you know from the ground and I frankly had nightmares about it for years Mm-hmm. Um, I had nightmares about the book Benicula, which I'm not sure if you're familiar with. <laughs> the vampire bunny. Yes. And had I ever cracked the cover, had I not been too terrified to ever crack the cover, I would have seen that the bunny just drained the juice out of vegetables. Yeah. I legitimately thought I saw Benicula in every corner of the house growing up. It was terrifying. It was one of my biggest fears. It was so cute, though. Uh, yeah, well, it's cute now. How do you feel about bunnies now? Yeah, they're fine. I'll turn my back on one, though. <laughs> yeah. Oh, man. Things were so scary as a child. And, like, I have a joke about, like, going back and rewatching them now. And it's that banicula moment of, like, oh, oh, that's not that scary. Too scared to even open the book. <laughs> Could have saved myself years of torment. <laughs> Don't judge a book by its cover. That's what they say. Good lesson. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Sweet. Well, for us today to talk about Mariana chose The Craft. 90s. Hey. (laughs) Um, I loved this movie when it came out. For those of you who haven't seen it, go watch it right now. Get out your brown lipstick. Go watch. Uh, It's the tale of four high school girls that come together and practice witchcraft and everything goes great. Just kidding, it's terrible. <laughs> what could go wrong? <laughs> exactly. Um, so, you know, there's some power struggles, and eventually it ends with the four girls not being friends any longer. Uh, so what made you choose The Craft? I remember seeing this movie. as I, Like I was saying, so many horror movies really scared me when I was younger, but I remember seeing this movie right when it came out. And it was a movie that shaped 
my adolescence. Uh, as I was watching the movie, I remember thinking light as a feather, stiff as a board. It's kind of a chicken and egg scenario. Is that a game I used to play mm-hmm. because I saw it on the craft? Or is that something that was so widespread at the time that that's oh. how it made its way into the craft? I don't Ooh. even know where that was first heard of. But it's definitely a movie that it must have come out when I was around 13, 96. Mm-hmm. Yeah. What like is, I know. What is math? What is math? I, actually, I do know because... You were 13 when you saw it, Mariana. I was there. I've always been there. <laughs> I knew it. It was, you know, and it, it was just, it was, it was a thing. I mean, I grew up in a, in the north suburbs of Chicago in a pretty affluent burb. My parents, as you know, are first generation Greek immigrants. They moved us there for the school district. It was not until college that I realized that we were not poor and that I was actually white because in Glenview being, Surprise! being <laughs> ethnic was like too much. It was like, you're, you're swarthy. It's not like that nowadays, but at the time, like when I was growing up in there, I just like, it felt weird, you know, and this, when this movie came out, it was such a phenomenon, such a pop culture phenomenon. And I remember there was like, you know, you've got your like kind of mean girls, like power click, which my high school happened to be for people who you know they were like all blonde haired and like you know (laughs) but the craft was such a thing that they were the witches like that was the thing they're like well I'm the north and like I'm the east and like they're having playground fights about like who's going to be the south and the west and it was not a thing for outcasts it was like a thing that was like really mainstream and got co-opted and I thought that was interesting too oh that is Uh, weird yeah Hmm. yeah all the cool kids like the craft you know Mm-hmm. I wouldn't think the popular, it's not, sometimes I have those moments where like when something I love gets very popular and I just want to pout and be like, it's not for you. <laughs> <laughs> no, but the craft is for them because right, mm-hmm. it is such, it's so Hollywood. It's it such is. a Hollywood movie. Mm-hmm. It's so unlike most other horror movies and I'm not even sure, you know, it's on the fringes of a horror movie, I would say, mm-hmm. fringe of the genre, but it is so mainstream. And I think that's one of the interesting things about it is the way that it's got the magic of Hollywood glamour <laughs> over it. And sure, it makes it appealing to mainstream 13 year olds or anyone because mm-hmm. that's, that's what they're doing with it. And it makes the characters weird and it makes the plot weird. Mm-hmm. And by the end of the movie, you're sort of like, who am I supposed to like here? Yeah. And what's the moral of the story? <laughs> 100% yes. I remember seeing this movie, and like my memory of this movie is like, fuck yeah, female empowerment, and like goth kids uniting. And re-watching it, I was like, oh, they're all terrible people. <laughs> Which is, I guess, representative of high schoolers. Like, teenagers are terrible. Yeah, it's... It's hard because I think that part of it too, honestly, is bad character development. Mm -hmm. Like, there's so much about these characters that doesn't make sense. You know, you're thinking maybe you're supposed to like Robin Tunney's character, who's Sarah in the movie. Yeah. She's sort of the protagonist. But you have a character here who is the new kid in school and yet has no qualms with calling everyone out on their BS. Um, She's so self-assured. She stands up to these new friends of hers, you know, and then other weird things that don't seem to make sense about her personality it just it just kind of doesn't make sense that her as a character that she and on the one hand she's getting swept up with these people and on the other hand she you know is really self-aware and calling them out i don't know yeah not. she doesn't feel like she feels more mature yeah i guess that seems also unreal to me because like, i don't know what your high school experience was like, but... Oh, it was super great. Let's not talk about it. Look, mine mine involved a lot of being in the suburbs and, like, playing with Happy Meal toys, you know? Like, I don't know what these 17-year-olds are up to where they're interacting with each other in this way, but, like, I was basically a baby. Uh, (laughs) Like, these people are, like, miniature adults, so that's cool. (laughs) Uh, yeah. related with it because like I was a very uh, mature teen myself <laughs> oh wow um, that's pretty cool yeah. <laughs> I hung out with a lot of older kids so I experienced a lot earlier in my teen years like 
you know, like I started going to parties when I was probably like 13. So, oh, Mariana's giving me disapproving mom look. I was not even allowed to go on sleepovers. Are I, you serious? My mother was distrustful of America and had seen something well, on 2020 where like someone got touched at a sleepover and like no one's going on any sleepovers <laughs> now. Not on her watch. <laughs> Remember 2020? <laughs> oh my God, I do. Oh, God, yeah. I hated when my parents watched that show. <laughs> Just be like a new thing to be paranoid about. Alarmist. Oh, God, that's really Ruining funny. my social life is my number one <laughs> beef with 2020. So I'm curious, like, what are some of the themes of this movie that, like, jumped out at you? Well, as you can see in my extensive notes here, I have I a column called notes. Themes. Yes. <laughs> one theme is snakes. <laughs> <laughs> But I don't know that there's necessarily a theme. What would you even call that? A it narrative device? What? Yeah. Um, my favorite was when that guy showed up in the beginning of the movie. He's like, oh, I found this out back. You want it? And like, I wrote that quote down. <laughs> <laughs> and then he sees her. And then I wrote, he, she sees the same guy on the street, uh, mm-hmm. Robin Tunney's character. And he, then he says, hey, I know you. I have a snake for you. <laughs> Ferris Balk then, her character Nancy, iconic Nancy, mm-hmm. then carries the snake when they go to the beach to call the corners. They all have their little animals. Oh. Um, yeah, you know, and that was like another, I don't know if I would necessarily call it a theme, but that was a thing that Hollywood movies like to do at the time and maybe still like to do. I just don't see very many of them nowadays, so I don't know. But you know, it's like, which one are you? Are you a Nancy or a Bonnie or are Rochelle? Or right? A... Oh, you Samantha. <laughs> they all have their little animals that they're carrying out, you know, and Rochelle's oh. a diver, so she's got the fish. Uh, <laughs> oh my God, I didn't even put that together. Yeah, so and Bonnie's got her scars taken away, so she's got the butterfly. Oh. And then when they call the corners, they're all the different north, south, east, west, you know? So you, they really mm-hmm. want you to identify with one of these characters. Man, it didn't work on me. I'm just real dance on that, I guess. <laughs> um, so I don't like any of them. What was Sarah's animal? She had a parakeet in a cage. Huh. I don't really get it. Yeah, I don't either. But yeah, I guess maybe that man was warning her about Nancy maybe with the snake yes because then at the end all the snakes come out I started to write down all the critters that come out at the end of the movie when they're haunting or glamoring Mm -hmm. uh, Sarah in her house in addition to snakes I got lizards tarantulas rats worms maggots scorpions Mm. and I don't know what else maybe some beetles (laughs) (laughs) just throw those in too Okay, now you list all the gross things you saw. <laughs> Nancy's parents. Where are the parents? Where are the parents? Truly. You know, that's the other weird thing with this character development. It's like nobody has... Where's that, where are everyone's parents? Bonnie's mom, at one point, you know, when they're in there, they have that slumber party because you mm-hmm. can't have a 90s movie without a slumber party. Oh, yeah. When she comes in... And also, Bonnie's mom's hair is just <laughs> <No>. ridiculous. <laughs> she says, I wrote this one down. She says, what's going on in here? Are you girls getting high? And that just like epitomizes the adult understanding and involvement <laughs> in this movie. It's like, we're sort of clueless and what's, oh, all right, we'll carry on then. Like, as long as it's not drugs, it's fine. Oh, uh, yeah. I mean, these girls are spending the night on the beach. Nobody's asking any <laughs> questions when your teenage daughter walks out of the house with a bird in a cage. <laughs> it's like, see you in the morning. <laughs> The one parent we do get to meet is like kind of thrown in as a cautionary tale. Um, Nancy's mom. Mm -hmm. She's the original cool mom. (laughs) (laughs) She totally is. Uh, I don't think we ever see her sober. I I just really feel like she's thrown in to be. By the way, speaking of sobriety, that sound you might be picking up on your microphone (laughs) is the gin. It's my gin drink clinking. I love Connie Francis. <laughs> it's Nancy's mom. <laughs> Cameo. I'm sorry. Sorry to interrupt. Oh, oh no! I just I feel like she was thrown in to like kind of make you wary of being like alone. Interesting. Partnerless, you know. Well, she had a partner, but he was awful. Yeah. 
he was a piece of shit. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But there was this scene where they all go to Nancy's house, and she just seems so sad. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That That's true. Well, you know, I mean, I guess maybe part of it is that she's partnerless. I think part of it, too, is... You know, or what Hollywood wants, you know, what what Hollywood wants you to think about it, because they're always pushing the party line. So, you know, you should Mm -hmm. be living in a suburban house with a hetero partner and have your requisite number of kids. I think she's like sort of a sad character because it's not it's not so much the loneliness. It's, you know, she gets all this stuff and she gets this jukebox of Connie Francis and it's like. She thinks that that's what's going to complete her, and it's yeah. not going to. And you know, and, and that's kind of that's an interesting thing too. Honestly, that's an interesting thing too that I see sometimes coming in this second generation immigrant wave, like coming from parents who were no shoes, poor, to living in the suburbs. Sometimes people think that like money, when you don't have money, it seems like money will solve all your problems, and it's not really going to. To her credit, Nancy's character seemed to know that more. Like, it wasn't just about getting out of that crappy housing situation that she had and that crappy living situation that she had before she killed her stepfather. Mm-hmm. Um, but for her mom, she just sort of, like, that was it. You know, they got the apartment and that was the end for her. She wasn't really pursuing anything else beyond that. Mm-hmm. And it kind of left her wandering, like, clueless with, with nowhere left to go. She's trying to follow the girls into their room. Yeah. yeah. And I feel like that scene where Nancy comes home uh, and the roof is leaking and the parents are arguing, that scene actually unnerved me more than anything else in the movie. Like, yeah. it just felt so desolate and depressing and, like, damn, you know? Like, I think they really hit the nail on the head with that scene. Yeah, you know, Nancy, honestly, I think of all the characters is the most well-developed. Yeah. And in some way that makes her, that makes one able to like her the best. Um, Just because she's more complete, Mm -hmm. you know. I think there's other more sympathetic characters like Bonnie and Rochelle who are just not developed. (laughs) Just because they're so two-dimensional. They're not giving these characters like anything. And, you know, when you think about they all, they take that bus out, you know, they take the bus out to the oh, field. Yeah. <laughs> also, what bus line are they on? <laughs> it just drops them off in the middle of, like, farm country. <laughs> oh, this bus is to the Witchenfields. Ah, yes, the old Witchenfields Express. It only yeah. runs weekdays. They get out there and they all you know, wish for their different things. And Nancy has got some bigger thing that she's going for you know Mm -hmm. it's not about just about this life insurance money it's not about material things like she wants all the power of Manon Mm -hmm. and you know good for her it's good to have goals (laughs) I do remember the way they set that scene up though is uh like I feel like it framed Nancy as being kind of selfish yeah she drinks all the wine and it dribbles Mm -hmm. down her her chin um, and there's a scene later when they're like calling the corners and Nancy says, hear me. And Bonnie's like, us, it's us. Yes. Uh, yeah. So she is frequently portrayed that way. Yeah. I, she's funny too. Like there's a couple things that she does when she's being mean that kind of made me laugh out loud too. <laughs> like what? <laughs> the scene where they come to threaten Sarah and they're like, I don't know. She just says something bitchy, and then she's like, "Bye." Is <laughs> <Sorry. laughs> like, what? What's wrong? How many times has this movie been re-edited when the most likable character is Nancy? Because yeah. all they thought to do was like develop the villain. For goodness' sake. Yeah. But yeah, I mean, to be honest, I I kind of like her. I I know that they make they make her out to be, um, you know, did she murder a few people here and there? Yes, she did. That's undeniable. <laughs> but <laughs> just a real sassy gal, you know? Uh, that's one thing I love about this movie, like the idea that with our collective powers, we can murder men. <laughs> like, yeah. I love it when they all Captain Planet it and then just like went on a killing spree. magical times uh so yeah speaking of character development uh, the graveyard shift sisters they're a very prominent horror blog they put out a great article 
discussing that they wanted more about Rochelle. Because, mm-hmm. like, especially to have a black woman in a horror film as a character, you know, in the 90s, that's a big deal. And Rochelle's character, like, her wish was to just be mean to the one racist girl in her high school. Like, they could have done so much more there. Yeah, I, I, I think in some ways Rochelle is one of the has the potential to be the most likable character and the only reason she's not is because she's so underdeveloped as a character Mm -hmm. everyone makes their wishes and sarah wishes to have this popular guy like her more who's sort of wronged her too yeah it was also Um, stupid (laughs) yeah i mean it's just it's just not i don't even understand that i that that's i think a product of not you know someone who maybe has never been a high school girl making mm-hmm. decisions about these characters like that that was just i don't even understand really why that was her wish mm-hmm. given given the level of power that she has and the amount of self-assuredness that she has as a character that choice made no sense to me mm-hmm. um nancy's choice made sense uh, rochelle's choice made sense Bonnie's choice made sense, and but then Bonnie kind of becomes a jerk after her scars go away, right? Yeah, she becomes becomes a sexual predator. <laughs> She's sexually <laughs> harassing that guy outside the apartment. Yeah. <laughs> and you know what I didn't like about, like, Bonnie and Rochelle were like, it seemed like they were tight, you know? Yeah. But then there's that time where they learn the glamour, and Sarah makes herself blonde, and then Rochelle is like, make me blonde. And Bonnie goes, no, oh, no. Like, what? I noticed that, and that was, I I read that article that you had mentioned earlier, Mm -hmm. and I noticed that in the article, and I noticed that when I was watching the movie as well. You know, of all the the underdeveloped characters, the bizarre underdevelopment of Rochelle's character, too, I mean, you can't ignore the fact that she's the only, really the only character of color in this whole movie. Oh my God, yeah. And... She, the actress that played her was talking about how they, apparently there were scenes shot with her family that were then cut out. Oh. Um, but at one point, you know, when Sarah gets attacked by Chris, shows up at Rochelle's door, mm-hmm. and clearly there's like, you know, people are hanging out there. She's got this cool domestic situation going on. Like, her parents seem cool, but where are they? Of course, we don't see them. Mm-hmm. Like, So the thing with, and the thing with Rochelle, too, in this movie, and the rivalry or the hatred she's experiencing from Christine Taylor's character, who played Marsha Brady. I always who... knew Marsha Brady was a total bitch. <laughs> Just the worst. <laughs> in this movie, they happen to be calling her Laura, but it's still the same thing. <laughs> and, you know, it, it struck me as sort of on the nose that the reason why Laura hates Rochelle is because Rochelle's black, you know? And so there's a million other reasons why Laura could hate Rochelle. Like, it seems like Rochelle's a better diver than her. It seems like Rochelle has, you know, a happy home life. And, you know, as as we all know in high school, people who maybe are mean to other people have other reasons why they're doing that. But for whatever reason, they decided that it was going to be because Rochelle's black. That's why Laura hates her. Mm -hmm. And maybe it's so that we as an audience can feel better about the fact that all of Laura's hair falls out and, like, uh, you know, she's got what's coming to her because she's a horrible racist. Mm-hmm. But it, it also really struck me as two-dimensional development of Laura's character. Like, it, there's so many reasons why weird little jealousies that she could have of a person and that's the reason why she doesn't like her. So I've been a union organizer for the past 10 years and over that time I've helped people try and file racial discrimination cases with the EEOC And racists never just say, I don't like you because I'm racist. Like, it's so much more subtle than that. And it's so much more about, like, how they act towards you and the little things that they do. And, like, it just, you're right. It felt two-dimensional and um, Laura's character wasn't believable. No, it, it it was bizarre. I thought that there were a lot of more nuanced aspects of the relationship between Laura and Rochelle um that were not played out and also it's kind of fucked up that so what she wanted was her hair to fall out but that didn't happen until sarah made it happen so it's like a white woman helping rochelle achieve something it's just gross it's all gross (laughs) yep i i would agree i mean i I don't know. I don't know what they're doing with these characters or this this character development and 
I don't know how it wound up like this. Like, it's <laughs> just, like, there's points at which the characters are so fetishized in the movie. Yes. Um, you know, for instance, when they go to take the bus to go to the field, they they are hitting, like, all the classic witch fetishy tropes, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, they take a blood oath. Mm-hmm. They, they prick their fingers. <laughs> then there's just a little light kissing on the lips, you know, for the audience's titillation. Yeah. <laughs> With perfect love and perfect trust. Yeah. All right. <laughs> there's, you know, and it crosses the line between, I don't know, if it, for whatever reason, it's like this fetishization seems to be a substitute for character development. Uh, mm-hmm. And happens throughout the movie. Yeah, and that article you sent me was really excellent. Oh, yes, Mask Magazine. Mm-hmm. Completely reader-sponsored, uh, completely online. Check it out. So Rachel Verona Cote wrote an article for Mask Magazine called Not That Innocent that explores the trope of the sexy Catholic schoolgirl and talks about the craft as well as other 90s and odd movies that utilize this trope but in the craft especially I think there's a lot of instead of character development they'll just substitute some sort of fetishization then there's you know the classic slow-mo squad roll where everyone's walking (laughs) through the halls now they've called the corners things are working (laughs) Rochelle's in suspenders You know, you know, Sarah's got a vest, you know, you know, things are going <laughs> You don't go fuck good. with a lady in a vest. <laughs> Man, but I mean, it's just, it's, you, you really know this is a Hollywood movie. And in, frankly, it's not like many Hollywood movies, or I'm sorry, not like many horror movies that I generally watch. I love the B-horror movies. Mm-hmm. But this was such a Hollywood movie and I chose this movie also because it's like, you know, I grew up in a really suburban burb uh, without older cousins really to tell me what's cool. Like I had some cousins, they lived in Michigan. My parents were from Greece. (laughs) They they were giving me their old records. So I'm like, great, cool. Like, I guess I'll just see what uh, mainstream media has to offer me. Oh God, shield your eyes, children. (laughs) It's so horrible. We're like, this is what you're getting, you know? (laughs) Mm -hmm. And it's interesting to point out that this story was written by men. Yeah. And I know we've talked a few times about, like, certain things just didn't make sense. Um, And I think the one area where that jumps out at me most is the relationship dynamic between Sarah, Nancy, and Chris. Yes. So the the scene I'm thinking of in particular is when Chris assaults Sarah. Sarah goes to Rochelle's. They all like converge and talk and like you think Nancy is going to go to this party and just rip Chris apart. But she has sex with him. Oh, that's cuz they're like weird, you know, frenemies. Yeah, I What's just... a frenemy? I've never had one. Have you ever had a frenemy? No. Is it a real thing or is that like something that people make up? Like, I think I've had friends where I have a sense of competition with them. Certainly. But like in this movie too, you know, I also think that this is kind of an, I feel that outsiders looking in perspective. I mean, I don't know. Maybe, maybe frenemies are real. And look, I understand that I'm probably not, you know, as, as far as any group you've put me in I'm sort of like the weirdo fringe of it of like any categorization you you're a choose. delight and you know that yeah. so I'm not about to suggest that like my experience is like the normal experience of whatever mm-hmm. but I've never had a friend of me and I frankly don't understand how that works or like why that's even a thing and to me that sort of felt like a, an outsider looking in thing that yeah how they set that relationship up with Nancy and Sarah and, you know, in the beginning, when Nancy first speaks to Sarah, basically, the, one of the first things she says is warns her about Chris and says he comes on to anything with tits. Mm-hmm. And then Bonnie says, except me. Mm-hmm. And then Rochelle says nothing. Yeah. Side note, because like what? Rochelle is like c- completely out, you know? It's like, oh, she's like not supposed to be a, a, an object of like sexual attraction for anyone. I mean, whatever it's Rochelle really got a short shrift in this movie. Well, they also, like when um, Chris was saying, like, 
he was pointing those girls out to Sarah. He was saying, like, she's weird about Nancy. She's got scars about Bonnie. And then about Rochelle, nothing. Nothing. Yeah. Yeah. He was just That's, like, they're witches. Yup. 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 I mean, you know, in a really... <sighs> Rochelle got such a short shrift, she almost got, like, just one dimension instead of the two that yeah. everyone else got. <laughs> it's messed up. So, yeah, but I mean, you know, there there definitely is a frenemy undertone between Sarah and Nancy, and mm-hmm. it's, it's hard to tell whether Nancy's really trying to spare Sarah the pain of getting involved with Chris, because it, it becomes <laughs> evident that she still has feelings for him, right? Yeah. And then when she tells uh, Sarah that Chris has spread this rumor that they've slept together, it's like, all right, cool, yes, we're your friends. We're gonna we're gonna break it down for you, but it's kind of in a really mean way. Mm-hmm. Um, and then they're pushing this thing on Sarah that's like the witch code. At one point, Nancy tells her if a witch betrayed another witch, they would kill her. Mm-hmm. And I think the undertones there, uh, you know, I don't know. I don't really trust this whole fall in line thing. Uh, you know, generally, not just as far as witches go, just in day to day life. <laughs> There's always like some sort of sinister ulterior motive when someone's pushing that on you, but yeah, and I guess like what I took away from this story overall is that like female friendship will always be undone by competition for men, and like that just doesn't sit well with me. <laughs> and then I looked up and I was like, oh, written by a man. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> There's so much about this movie that makes no sense. <laughs> If you don't, if you look at it though, hey, to quote another movie that also is horrifying to see in adulthood, Clueless. Oh to, my god! Right? Oh. To quote another movie yeah. that seems good from a distance, it's like a Monet. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like once you actually start watching it, it's it's a little unsettling. Mm-hmm. Um, but I did think there was like the moment of. Um, bonding portrayed really well like when they came up with their spells they were being kind of vulnerable with each other and showing what their fears were or what they wanted and what they aspired to but then even the way they talked about that with each other was kind of catty like um Rochelle talks about having noticed that Nancy like doesn't want to be white trash anymore but yeah. then she says, you're white, get over it. It's like, what? <laughs> yeah. And they do light as a feather, stiff as a board. And so Bonnie makes a remark about Rochelle, like, not being light as air, but, you know, not just in her head. And then Rochelle calls Bonnie a cow, which, by the way, <laughs> who has ever called anyone a cow ever? Okay. <laughs> yeah, you know, it's, it, it is. The whole, the whole thing is frenemies underlies all the all the relationships in this movie and mm-hmm. I don't really get it I that's frankly personally that's just not something that I experience um you know yeah one thing I did experience that I really liked that they portrayed in the movie is Bonnie noticing Sarah like uh, line up the pencil and then hold it with her mind I do feel like there were those little things in high school where you'd see someone do something or wear a certain band patch and you'd be like oh, we are going to be friends <laughs> I get so excited yep yep I you know talk about the characters in this movie that always reminded me of Matilda do you remember that book by Roald Dahl? And then oh, it was yeah. The made little into French a movie. Girl. Yes. And she was so smart, and she was so smart that she had telekinetic powers. Oh. And she was able to levitate the pencil with her mind. And when I saw Robin Tunney's character doing it in the craft, it immediately reminded me of Matilda. And it made me want to like her character because I associated her character with Matilda, who's a hero of mine. Mm-hmm. But I just really couldn't like her character that much. Yeah. And she, like, not to be catty, but, like, she looks like a 25-year-old woman. Like, she doesn't look like a high school kid. I mean, look, as you can hear, I grew up in the Midwest. I have a heavy Midwestern accent. Mm -hmm. Um, There was a lot of... I 
you know, there's so much about Sarah's character that was like almost too cool, you know, the way that she talked. It was like Abstract so cool. suicide, man. <laughs> well, they're on the beach and they're calling the corners and she's wearing this leather jacket and everyone else's arms are straight up except ah. Sarah's arms are out in this V and she's in an oversized leather jacket and she's almost making like the yeah. metal horns with her fingers. Like, I hated those hands. Like, calling the corners, you know, and like... <laughs> At times, she's, like, so cool, and at other times, she's just like, guys, I really think we should settle down. I guess that that goes back to just, you know, the, the bizarre development of these characters, but... Yeah, it kind of re- reminded me, too, of, like, how in the 90s, so many dark things were cool, you know? <laughs> like, it was really a goth era. Oh, my God, the school was, like, gothic clueless. How much... Yeah. That's what I thought of. <laughs> When Sarah first walked in, you know, think about in Clueless when they walk through the yard and everyone's like, yeah, it's fancy and like, Mm -hmm. it's it's sunny and everyone's, you know, looking happy versus when Sarah walks into this school and it's just like kind of stormy out and, you know, she lands in LA and it's raining Mm -hmm. and they get into her house and it's raining and she goes to her first day of school and everyone's in these Catholic school uniforms and the school is all stone and... Ivy, mm-hmm. and it just is—it's just like gothic clueless. <laughs> <laughs> Donald Faison's character is uh, played by a gargoyle. <laughs> <laughs> there is no whimsical head shaving in this movie. <laughs> no kissing cousins. Just a beach full of dead sharks. <laughs> oh my god, that scene made me laugh so hard, like. I couldn't imagine being on the beach and just hearing this woman scream like, I can feel you inside me. <laughs> like, what? <laughs> and how is no one laughing at her? <laughs> what do you think Frozen Bulk thought about that? Like, Because at some point, you know, so here's another thing I noticed about this movie that I've seen a lot, by the way, recently. So I have occasion to make these observations. As Nancy's character gets more unhinged, her hair starts to get teased out more. And on the beach, in that scene where she's walking on water, very Christ-like. Oh, yeah. Her hair is at that point still smoothed down, but at every single scene thereafter, it's teased out crazy. And, you know, as she starts to get more unhinged, I kind of wonder, like, how was the actress approaching this? Like, mm-hmm. was it with a little bit of tongue-in-cheek? Because as you said, there was some really good moments where... <laughs> she would say things that were funny (laughs) yeah I also really don't like the way the film handled mental illness oh my goodness yeah yes and to be honest I, I, I spent some time thinking about that because I don't know maybe they want you to think or maybe they want you know the audience to think that Nancy's character is mentally ill and you know we're supposed to that that's supposed to be the explanation for double murder and mm-hmm. the third murder attempt or whatever. I don't know. Or that like the she ends up in an institution of some kind like as some sort of punishment for the murders or what she's done and that whole thing really did not sit well with me too. Yeah, it felt very quick and sloppy. Oh my goodness. I did really And like we're just going to throw this woman away like <laughs> Yup. And tie to a bed? What the fuck? You know, first of all, I mean, if, if, if someone's mentally ill and they go into a hospital, that's where they go because, you know, that's, you spend some time in there to get better, not as like a punishment for something that you've done. And th- that whole thing was completely bizarre to me. I mean, there was a lot, there was a lot that was yeah, broad strokes. <laughs> okay. The old Hollywood heavy hand. <laughs> but... <laughs> It was really strange to see them, yeah, to all of a sudden, that's the last scene of the movie, is Nancy Mm -hmm. tied to a bed somewhere, having a hallucination that she's flying. And it begs the question, what's the takeaway here? (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) I don't know. I... I really don't know what the lesson is that one's supposed to glean from this movie. Yeah, because none of the relationships are good. Um, You know, Bonnie and Rochelle are still friends, but it doesn't feel... I don't know. (laughs) 
<laughs> feels very catty and forced. And now Sarah's moving again, which is weird. Like, she was only at that school for like a week. <laughs> and also, I mean, it seems like her dad has no idea what's going on because the second to last scene where mm-hmm. Bonnie and Rochelle show up, it's like, hey, Mr. Sarah's dad. Hey, yeah. girls. Yeah. <laughs> like, oh, I'm an oblivious you adult. To, <laughs> <laughs> you tried to kill my daughter. And he doesn't yeah. know. It seems like he doesn't even know. They're just maybe moving for some other reason. Yeah, maybe the film is actually brilliant in that aspect of like how much teenagers hide from their parents. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Interesting. Mm-hmm. Somebody snuck that in somewhere. <laughs> yeah. So I'm curious, what do you think invoking the spirit represents? Like, if you were to say that as a metaphor for X, what would you think? Hmm. I think that invoking the spirit is a metaphor for actualizing, for self-actualization, um, generally. As mm-hmm. it's used in this movie, maybe also that as well. Um... It seems like, for instance, when Nancy invokes the spirit, she starts living her best life, you know? She's moving on (laughs) up into this apartment. Uh She's killing whoever's crossed her or threatening to kill them. With $175,000. So this movie was made in 1996. (laughs) They got $175,000 of life insurance money from Roy's death, Nancy's stepdad. And... Then they spend it all. I mean, they must have spent it all immediately. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Nancy's got that red car that she's driving around in, you know, when they're turning all the stoplights mm-hmm. green to red. I don't know how much cars cost, but what was it, like 25 grand? The jukebox yeah. alone? How much does it cost to get a jukebox with only Connie Francis? <laughs> you got to find all We're those records thousands. on 45s. Yeah. <laughs> so that so, money is gone. Yeah, I, you know, I, I don't know. I mean, clearly it seems that they refer to calling the coroners or invoking the spirit Minot. In the movie, they refer to him as a him, as a male presence. Mm. I like to think of calling the coroners as actualizing, but who knows what was intended. No, I like that. Yeah, what do you, what do you think? Sense. I kind of wondered if it was a metaphor for being sexually active. Interesting. Because it seemed like... After they did this, everybody got sexier, you know? (laughs) (laughs) Slow-mo squad roll. Yeah. But also that, like, um, so you had Bonnie, who was, like, basically sexually harassing men. And then Sarah, (laughs) who felt, like, a lot of regret for her interactions with Chris and, like, wanted to, like, cancel the love spell. Mm -hmm. And then Nancy, who, like, I feel, like, couldn't handle the emotional complexity in having sex with Chris and understanding that he didn't want to be her partner. Interesting. Yeah. And again, Rochelle, I wouldn't know because there's nothing about her. (laughs) Calling Rochelle, please (laughs) add Rochelle to this movie. Curious. Yeah. Yeah. um, Interesting. You know, this is a... Is I you know I think I said it was like a fringe horror movie, but it is. There's not a ton of sex in this movie. There isn't. Um, and and the sex they do have, it's really bad. Like Chris is like <laughs> slowly gyrating, like every maybe four seconds he thrusts, and it just looks terrible. I will say though, I don't know who the sound editor is in this movie, but they did a fantastic job because when Chris and Sarah go on a date. Mm-hmm. Where he just drives her out to a remote location and then sexually assaults her. Um, you hear the sound of, like, they're almost about to have sex. Or, you know, presumably he's, like, you know, attacking her in that mm-hmm. scene. And you hear a very loud sound that sounds like metallic jangling. As yeah. though he's unbuttoned a belt. Mm-hmm. Again, this is this is just because I've seen this movie. So it's, it stood out to me too, actually. It was so loud. Yeah. But then he stands up, and then his pants are still on, and I was like, "Well, this is weird." I don't yeah, know, and I'm she's sure wearing tights on here. So yeah. I was like, oh, good. Like, yeah. I mean, it was just. I, I think that was just the sound editing. And there was another really good sound editing moment when he hits the ground after Nancy gets him. You know, pushes him out the window. Mm-hmm. The the squishing oh, sound yeah. was really. 
really top notch. (laughs) So I'm curious, what were some of your favorite parts of this movie? Oh, my hands down favorite part, which is a part that haunted my dreams in childhood in the same way Vanicula did. (laughs) It's when Nancy gets on her toes and gets mad, gets like witch angry at that party. So she's glamored herself to look like Sarah Mm -hmm. and she's making out or getting down with Chris. Bad sex. Bad Mm -hmm. sex. (laughs) Really unclear what's happening there. Then at real Sarah walks in the door, mm-hmm. sees them, uh, Nancy changes back to herself, and then gets mad. And at this point, she's in full Nancy regalia. Her hair is oh, yeah. teased right out. <laughs> she's got all black, black, black to the ground, the brown lipstick, the choker. She's getting after it. And then somehow she's found these very 1800s-esque pointy toe lace up <laughs> those are great boots which boots right and she gets on the toes of these boots and comes scooting at this guy until he's almost at the window now i was so scared of this scene as a child that in my memory what happened was nancy's character got on her toes and basically just whoop scooted this guy right out the window seeing it now in adulthood i realized she just got so angry that she got on her toes and you know, glided over there and that a few moments later she pushed this guy out the window without touching him. But that was a scene that really scared me. Haunted my dreams. Mm, I loved that scene. I thought it was like, fuck yeah. Yes, I, I, I loved it for that. <laughs> it's, so, it's so messed up. I'm like, it haunted my dreams and I remember it the most and so I love it. Mm. <laughs> That's great. Yeah. What about you? What was your What was your favorite scene? And I mean, that one, and also when, um, you know, when also when Nancy's becoming unhinged on the beach and sees all those <laughs> animals. These <laughs> are my gifts. No, I can feel so, you in me. Oh gosh. <laughs> <laughs> A new favorite scene that I didn't really notice when I watched it when it first came out that I've been enjoying since adulthood is the last 20 minutes of the movie is all white turtleneck. (laughs) For whatever reason, when Bonnie and and Rochelle and Nancy show up to terrorize Sarah in her home, Sarah's wearing this white turtleneck, and that's pretty much like all you see for the last 20 minutes, and then Nancy pushes a dresser on her in this dramatic final fight, and Sarah disappears, and she's just sitting there, and all you see is this white <laughs> turtleneck. <laughs> yes. Because that's all you've been seeing for the last 20 minutes. Mm-hmm. And then she rematerializes and, you know, wins the day. Mm-hmm. But I, I don't know. I think that that was just like kind of a silly um, nose trope that yeah. they had in the final scene. <laughs> I, one of my favorite parts is that when they do that bus ride, and then... They go out to the woods, and the bus driver's like, watch out for weirdos, and Nancy's like, we are the weirdos. It's like, yeah. Slow-mo squad roll. (laughs) Yeah, and I do think that the film portrayed a lot about high school, in like the power dynamics, um, the frustration, Just like being forced into this space with the same people every day that you don't like. And how freely people are just so mean. Yeah. Yeah, people are mean because it's confined circumstances. Mm -hmm. I, you know, I was pretty nerdy in high school. Surprise, I was pretty (laughs) nerdy in high school. Not me, I was very popular. (laughs) Mentioned I took five pages of notes on this movie. (laughs) Do you know what lawyers do when they're in high school? They do debate. <laughs> <laughs> so, like, that was cool. Um, but, you know, yeah, high school is kind of a crappy place because everyone's all jammed in there. And, you know, people kind of, I, I like, I kind of liked my high school. I had really good teachers and I just was a nerd. So I was like, cool, we're reading books. Let's, let's do it. Um, but I also sort of kept myself very separate from um, the high school social scene. Like, it just really was not even something I participated in. Like, I didn't date in high school. I didn't really, like, you know, I mean, I would, like, go to parties from time to time. Uh, 
you know, you know how they do like those senior votes at the end of the year for your senior year? Oh yeah. What'd you get? I got most fun at a party. <laughs> you are fun at a party. Yeah, but like I went who the what I never went to a party. How the hell did that happen? Like, is this a cruel joke? Um, I got most likely to become a professional wrestler. No shit. Yeah. I'm it's not never sure. too late. <laughs> I think that's just a nice way of them saying, we think you're very masculine. <laughs> you seem strong. <laughs> Boy, I don't know. It's like, yeah, it's, it's high school's a weird, it's weird. It's a weird place. And if you do what you can to get by, I, I suppose... Um, I don't really know that that necessarily changes as life goes on. Like, you continue to live in a society. We continue to live in a society where we don't get to dictate the rules or the norms mm. or how things are. Um, you don't get to say, like, what's normal. That's <laughs> true. <laughs> Look at the hellscape we live in now. <laughs> uh, my final thought on the craft is this. When I rewatched it recently, I watched it on Netflix, and I don't know who is writing these blurbs, but this is the blurb that was written for the craft. At a Catholic school, a new girl falls in with a clique of teen witches who wield their powers against anyone who crosses them, even their parents. Where are the parents? Where are the parents? Uh, I'm, I'm not necessarily advocating for adult supervision here. I'm just saying, who the hell is writing these Netflix blurbs? <laughs> well, Nancy did kill her stepdad. Yeah, that's true. Where but, I, yeah, I guess, I guess the parents are... <laughs> plot devices. <laughs> <laughs> the parents are in the files of whatever life insurance company is paying out to Nancy and her mom. practically nowhere else i just thought that was like a funny description of all the things you could say about this movie (laughs) make it about the parents (laughs) awesome well where can people check out uh the stabettes stabettes are online at (laughs) www.stabettes.com sweet and i will have a link to that in the um show promo and also all the articles we discussed too so you can check them out also it's been really fun reliving this 90s moment with you uh, oh it's been really fun reliving these 90s moments with you and um <laughs> actually i do have another final thought is, oh yeah as your listeners at home may not be able to see i'm wearing my yellow barrette right now oh she is it's very sporty as a craft talisman because at some point in the movie every character wears some variant of these little plastic barrettes that were such a thing in the 90s they were I had so many of them. You know, and to their credit, what this film lacks in substance, it really makes up for in style. They managed to get (laughs) two of these suckers on Nancy. So kudos to the costume department. Wish you had a role in the script. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, exactly. All right, that's been Mariana Karampoulos. I've been Kristen Lighty, and this has been Bloody Mary. Have a good night.